Good afternoon and welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be your host for the next hour. Thanks for taking time out of your busy day to spend some time here on Business Buzz. I'm fortunate to have made it through the October 15th tax extension filing deadline season, which ended last Thursday. I'm happy to report that I actually was able to leave the office by about 6 o'clock instead of 11 p.m., so things went well. I mean, sometimes sometimes I worry about discussing how late I have to work sometimes, thinking that uh, maybe I don't run an organized office. But honestly, I had, I guess it's because of my level of service over the last 30 years at the same location, but I do have many clients who drop their tax information off just in the last few days. And if I can, I get them done. So I do everyone in order. I spent quite a few late nights catching up the ones that had been there for a little while. But then Wednesday night, which was the 14th, I just decided I'm going to work. I'm going to work as late as it takes to get everybody who brought me their information if I can, to get them all done. So I stayed up super late on Wednesday the 14th and got everybody done that I could do. And then the 15th was just a matter of a few loose ends that I had to finish. And some people were still giving me some some information on Thursday the 15th. But um, it's just the way it works in a, in a tax office. If you're going to try to help everybody, you know, not, not all the clients are going to be, not all clients are going to do everything just like you'd like them to, and they're not going to bring you all the information uh, two or three weeks early. There are some accounting offices and tax offices that actually have surcharges. So they just say if you, like for October 15, if you bring it in after September 15, there's one if you stop by and if you bring it by at September 15th, you've got a surcharge of a certain amount. If you bring it after October 1, you get a surcharge of another higher amount. And most of these, some of these big city type CPAs, I, they probably wouldn't even finish it if you brought it in after the 10th or something. But like I say, I'm just a service oriented small office and Pretty much if somebody brings me the information I need and I have a chance to get to it and finish it, I will do that. I grew up working with my uh, dad's tax office in Oakland. And that's the way he did it, so I kind of continue that same uh, that same method. So that's kind of the just the way it is for a for an office like mine. The uh So anyway, I made it through the October 15th. I'm happy about that. It's uh, it's always good to know that I did everything I could, and I actually did finish everyone, and I don't think there was anyone that I didn't actually finish that had brought me their information, so I was pretty happy about that. So today I have a special guest uh, with the election coming up. I was fortunate enough to uh, get an appointment to have... Uh, Mr. Doug LaMalfa come in and be my guest today. Of course, uh, the election's coming up on November 3rd, and um, he's here in the studio now, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to introduce him, and we're going to get started on just kind of a, a good general uh, information to help anybody who's still got their ballot uh, sitting on their desk and hasn't sent it in already. Uh, so we have uh, Representative Doug LaMalfa here today, so... How you doing? I'm really good. Thank good. you for having me. Sorry I got a little bit behind here this afternoon. No problem. I know things get busy, and I'm sure this is a busy time, especially for you. So Yeah, putting together campaign pieces uh, for uh, kind of setting for the rest of the week here. But uh, really pleased to be with you, and thank you for uh, your invite today. I was, I was glad to oh, great. Well, run into you the other Yeah, the other thanks, for, thanks for coming. So I was just doing a little reading today because um, I – I, there was a few things that st stuck out on some things that I was reading about your uh, political history 
But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, have you ever lost an election? I mean, other than something way back when? I mean, I'm looking at the state assembly stuff, and uh, I'm not well, sure uh, if I read that right. So far, I guess you could say I'm 17 and 0. Okay. <laughs> and you know, with uh, primary races and uh, general elections uh, with uh, the years in the Assembly, the State Senate, and the House, you know, so uh, um, I don't want to get too big-headed about it, though. But, but, the, but you know, second place doesn't really cut it in elections either, very right. often either. Right, so, right, right. Well, I guess unless there's a, a multiple-seat race like a city council, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... I guess I'm just real interested in finding out some of the things like you've been in Washington now for about seven years, I think. Is this? Is yeah, it? it'll be uh, eight years on uh, January 2 is how the terms work. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what was it like? Uh, what was it like going from Sacramento to Washington? Was that sort of a direct move for you? When well, you... I have to tell you, really, I mean, um, uh, it's all... I guess in a way breathtaking, but uh, going from Richvale to the state capitol in Sacramento, right, and walking in on the uh, the state assembly floor in the in the state capitol, that took my breath away the very first time because you know I mean Richvale's only population two fifty here, right, in South Butte County, and you know sometimes uh, in my uh, job as a farmer, maybe the only person I talk to all day might be the dog that's with me, you know? So, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess if you want to just say, wow, you know, boy meets big city, th- that first jump, when I walked in, when when one of my already elected colleagues walked me into the assembly floor, I just looked in that big room and said, wow, I'm going to get to work here pretty soon, you know, once the swearing in happened. And, um, and so I, I took that with a great uh, sense of uh, reverence and um, of um, I've been entrusted with a pretty big thing here, you know, because a state assemblyman has got, at that time, this is 2002, uh, the swearing-in was December of 2002. You, you at the time, represented about 450,000 constituents, which uh, when you talk to people around the country, and then a state senator. There's 80 members of the assembly in the Capitol and 40 state senators. And the senators at the time had a population of about 900,000, basically double of an assemblyman. Right. Those numbers have since crept up with the expansion of California. Basically, you round off a state senator now to a million. That's bigger than a House of Representatives seat. And so when you talk to colleagues around the country, because many of them came through their state legislatures, and they say, you guys got such giant districts out there, um, you know, and they're just, they're kind of uh, a little, you know, taken aback as what we represent at the state level. So I guess what you would say is that it certainly was a good, you know, place. You could look at partly as a training ground. Right. I mean, obviously we're working on very serious state issues, so it isn't just, you know, I don't mean to take it lightly or what have you. It's It's a deal, but... Man, what better crucible you could go through than to be a state legislator to walk into the U.S. House in right. Congress because right. you've, you've represented vast districts and California issues are pretty contentious. So you're kind of like, all right, you kind of got your, uh, you're at your fighting weight and you're, uh, you know, you're in a lot closer to game shape than people maybe that ever done any of this or walk, you know, Mr. Smith goes directly to Washington. Right. Um, I would say it was certainly a great experience. To come to that, but obviously we're we were working on it, key issues and battling the the good fight in the state legislature during those years I was there, too, and I you know I had no idea I would end up in Congress or really doing any of this stuff. I'm a guy with a pickup that was going around putting up signs right. as my part of helping out. Besides you know just voting and paying taxes, I was a guy that wanted to find ways to help more because you know when you're especially when you're if you have a small business like we do a farm you quickly realize that government affects your life in many ways right you know and so if you're not part of shaping that by the very least voting every time and being informed on the issues the propositions the local measures and who the judges are and all that then you're kind of letting yourself down you're letting your neighbors and your family down because you got to be a voter you got to be 
informed. And that doesn't mean you have to know everything. But if you don't want to, don't have the ability to find out every issue, then ask somebody who knows. Ask somebody who you trust, you trust their judgment. What do you think I should do on these propositions? And then have them tell you, you know, at least briefly, why are you for or against these propositions? And, and right. you know, go from there. If you trust them, that, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it gets overwhelming looking through the pamphlet. Uh, this year, there's a lot of real important ones. And yeah, 11 I'm or 12 just getting one. caught up. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I mean, some key ones, two, two tax-related ones, 15 and 19. Um, I'm, you know, when people ask me, I tell them I'm voting no on those because I, I don't think the empowering this state at this time with more money is going to be, uh, teach them any discipline. And it all comes right off the backs of, uh, families or small business or what have you. Like 15 is, you know, they're trying to, they've been trying to get rid of proposition, proposition 13 that was passed in 78 ever since it came out. Right. And they put all sorts of blame on it. Like, oh, schools don't have any money anymore. Well, you know, whatever. But, um. So they've been trying to eviscerate that because there's people in Sacramento wanting government to have more control. So this seems like one that's going to sort of try to chip away at it because it acts like it's only for the large parcels. Is that what I understand? It uh, will tell you that it doesn't tax value. your home. It doesn't tax right. your home, and it, it won't hurt small business, but it will it, it will hit a certain size of business. But they'll say it doesn't affect farms. Well, uh, and the Farm Bureau and others are really weighing in on that. It doesn't directly hit the land, but any improvement you have upon the land, you know, whether it's your shop building, your barn, your, you have my, maybe a set of dryer bins, you might have pumps, you might have other developments you put on there to make a farm go, then those are going to be subject to adjusting the tax rate on them, you know, whatever the provisions of the bill are. Right. Every year, every other year, and they're going to be constantly ratcheting that up, and that pretty much makes uh, your food costs higher. And for farmers that are already in certain crops on a – Maybe on the brink, destroying that additional few straws on the camel's back makes them go under. And that's because the state wants more money. And it'll say, oh, it's for schools, it's for roads, it's for this, it's for that. You know, it, it's always for that. It's never, you know, we're going to put this measure on the ballot for more government waste, right? <laughs> it's, or for, uh, you know, paying off uh, the, uh, the desires of trial lawyers to have more abilities to sue or environmental groups to sue and, and things of that nature. So, you know. As you can tell, probably from my voice, I've uh, might have a certain level of cynicism about all this stuff. But you know, you, you keep getting the football pulled out away from you as a business owner or as a as as working families in this state. I mean, we recently made a little trek around much of the country here, my wife and I, and we noticed gas prices in the Midwest and other areas east of here are basically one half of what they are in this state. Right. And you can actually get a better grade of fuel, too. You can get, uh, I think our highest one here is 91 octane. You can get 93 octane in other states. And the regular price is, I saw as low as 173 in other states. And here you'll pull up and it'll be three, you know, depending on the station, like the one by the airport, they really get you there because you had to fill, fill up your rental car. But, you know, yeah. it's basically double. Why is it because you're a Californian does it have to be double? Why is it that your electricity is... Uh, your energy costs are so much higher, and your grid is subject to being shut down at any time. So these are legitimate questions for any Californian to ask: of Why does it have to be this way? You know, and so, and that's what should motivate people to be much more involved in their political, you know, election decisions. Who's representing you? And uh, it really comes down to freedom. It really comes down to you having choices of how you use your income, spend your time. And it was what we're seeing here, bringing closer to what your listenership here as a Christian-based station, um, the effect large government and people with, vested with a lot of power has seen our basic uh, freedoms and abilities to worship, to sing, <laughs> to, you know, no, I mean, the governor's coming now with edicts about how to act at Thanksgiving, and he doesn't want people, more than you know, three families gathering at a Thanksgiving dinner for more than two hours. You know, I, I know. I read about the proposed restrictions on private get-togethers. It's like, oh boy, that's really, that's coming down a little too much. And I've always tried to, I've always tried to stay neutral as far as party lines and things because I deal with people on all ends of the spectrum. Thanks. 
But my bottom line, and we're coming up on that first break, so we'll come back to that in just a minute. So stay tuned to Business Buzz. We'll be right back with Congressman Doug LaMalfa. If you're able to help the community of Berry Creek and the victims of the Bear Fire, here's Pastor Gerald Boward of Mountain Chapel in Berry Creek to let you know how you can get involved. You can text 51400 and then in the message line, FIRE, uh, F-I-R-E, and then once you text that and send it, it will return to you a link where you can give more information on the amount that you want to give and how you want to give. And of course, that will be transferred directly into the Mountain Chapel account. And with that, we'll be able to extend additional help and resources to not just the church members, but community members as well. Donate directly to the Mountain Chapel Church in Berry Creek by texting the word FIRE to 514 Zero, zero. Text the word FIRE to 51400. God is concerned that we repent. Why? Because he wants to eliminate the spiritual departure that has happened in our hearts, and he wants us to stop this false worship. Don't we know that God wants to walk with us? David Hawking shares why everyone needs to repent. This week on Hope for Today. Join us. Tune in for Hope for Today, weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm here talking with Representative Doug LaMalfa. And off the air, we were talking a little bit about the, just kind of the constitutional things. And I know he's, he seems to be a pretty, pretty strictly, you know, he tries to follow the constitutional rules. And one other thing I was thinking is our country was designed around representatives being regular people with businesses at home and then their representatives as not their main job. So you've been able to maintain your family farm work and being a representative is that right well you know that that you're very correct on that the the original founders had not intended for uh being a representative at any government level to be a profession it's a service you know and uh california some years ago went from a part-time part-time i mean legislature to being a full-time legislature that means approximately Oh, by the time you roll all the vacations and summertime off, it may, may be an eight-month-per-year session, right? Right. So that's what full-time looks like there. And Congress is even more than that. There's really no full month off other than the, the summer break in August. So it, it, it is a full-time job. So if, since it's kind of been made into that over the years, the professionalizing of it, yeah, you got to treat it like a full-time job. So... I don't get to do a whole lot of farming at home like I did you know, growing up or before being in elective office, but I still go out there and get my hands dirty. We got to harvest some rice here at the end of the season, and so it's important to keep your your hands in it as a family member so that you know things stay on track. But uh, if I was to say that uh, I get to do a lot of farming, that would be actually <clears throat> I'd be kind of derelict of duty because this requires full attention to make right. sure our constituents are getting what they need. We do a lot of stuff with uh, helping veterans with VA, helping people with social security issues and other government issues where sometimes the response isn't so good. So we have to call them up and rattle a cage for them so they can get their stuff done, get right. their, you know, get their social security straightened out somehow. And usually, you know, I have a great team, great staff, and a lot of these things get done by a phone call or two in a day or two or a week or whatever instead of people have been waiting for months and months. So right. So what I'm getting at is, yes, it is, it's a full-time job. Whether it should have been all this time, I don't think the founders intended that, but we're, we're a different world with travel, with technology, with all this sort of thing. You know, what gets me is that technology is always supposed to make our life easier and have, right. have you more 
time saving, right? right. So this is a time saving device, you know, the washer and dryer and the, the dishwasher in your house and all that stuff. And they do, they make it very much nicer, you know, automobile travel. You can get so much easier to drive from here to Quincy in a car than it was, you know, on a, a buckboard right. wagon, you know, 150 years right. ago and all that. So, but it seems like, do we have less time? Yeah. You know? I remember when I was a kid reading about how great it would be with computers and all that in the future, but now people are working harder than ever, even though we have all these tools, you know. And the tools help, you know, look, I mean, it is amazing how much we can access information, you know, Uh, so much, I mean, you have so much information at your fingertips, you can look up anything you want to, and it's out there, you know, from the obscure baseball statistic to, uh, you know, science on... uh, you know, space travel or uh, whatever you would want to look up, it's out there. So in that sense, wow. But then there's a lot of garbage that comes with it, you know, I mean, that, that's on the Internet. So, right. uh, But that goes with anything. We devise a new great device, and then someone tries to figure out how to militarize it so we can better, more effectively blow up right. <laughs> other country soldiers right. or something. Right. Or, you know, even space travel. Like, well, let's see, how can we put a satellite up there with a, with a killer laser on it right. you know, or something like <laughs> that, you know, so. So in in the upcoming term, if you uh, win the election, uh, is there any one particular bill or goal you're working on right now that's especially important, or is it just the usual, got to go in and fight all these battles all the time? Well, it uh, depends what toolkit you're walking into town with, too. And that I mean by that is uh, who's who's in the White House. And that isn't just a beauty contest of like, well, you like this one or you like that one. Because as you know, it ripples all the way through all parts of government. You know, a president will name his or her cabinet. And then the cabinet is based on the people that are going to be fairly like-minded with what the president's doing. You know, right. We've been working a lot with the Secretary of uh, Department of Interior and uh, quite a bit with the Secretary of Department of Agriculture. You know, so USDA, the Forest Service are nested in there. Uh, Interior has a lot to do with water supply and water allocation. So we do a lot with those. And for me, from my perspective and the things I'm working on, the ones that we have as those secretaries are very friendly towards the stuff we're trying to get done. That can completely change with a different appearing administration, and they'll be hostile to what we're trying to do and and not helpful at all. So, um, you know, they're, they're... they're trying to remove four hydroelectric uh, generating, generating dams up on the Klamath River at the, at the north end of the state. Three are in California, one's on the Oregon side. So three of those are basically my jurisdiction. And so we're fighting hard to keep them in because last time I looked, we're having power shutoffs either due to weather and high wind or power shutoffs when it was really hot because there wasn't less, enough electricity being generated in California. Any single thing goes down and, boy, you got a ripple effect. So what you have is like, you know, factories and manufacturers and such, they're on the blackout standby and they'll, you know, they sign up for that maybe to get better electricity rates and such, but they're told during certain times of the year, we're going to have to tell you in, you know, 20 minutes to shut off everything you're doing because right. we need this power in order to just keep basics. Right. Like how, 20 minutes notice. Yeah. Yeah. Keep, keep houses going, keep uh, businesses where that are full of people or other institutions have a lot of people in them that aren't going to survive well a, a, a heat wave. So this all comes back to what kind of planning are we doing? What, what are we allowing? And we have to have elect, an electricity grid that's sound, that's stable. Part of that comes back to the forestry. Why am I on the forestry committee? You know, we have to be out there trimming around power lines so the stuff doesn't blow into it when you have a high wind and then cause a shortage or an outage, cause a short, like we had with Paradise at the campfire, you right. know? And now that was more of a situation where Sparks fell to the ground after a piece of equipment failed, but you get what I'm looking at here. With the, when it takes months to get Forest Service to issue a permit for somebody to be able to trim hazardous trees and branches that are near power lines, well, that's just a recipe for failure. So I passed a bill on that in 2018, easing the permit process, telling them you got to get this done, requiring them to get it done short term. Because, you know, the environmental groups will say, well, nobody should cut any trees. Like, well, we're not clear cutting every tree from here to Oregon, we're just cleaning up around already existing power lines that have been permitted to be there for decades already. Why is that a tough climb? You know, so that you're, so what I'm kind of getting to is that these are parts of the things we'll be looking at going in a stronger 
to a, to a new term, I mean a stronger, more reliable electricity grid so we're not suffering what's going on right now. This is, we're not a third-world country. This should be easy. And uh, so it's a multitude of issues. But as I started out with how we do it depends what kind of team do we have in the White House and agencies to work with or work against because, you know, if the Democrats get in, then they're going to appoint people that are going to be pretty strict environmentalists, and the stuff I'm talking about is going to be out the window, and those dams up on Klamath are going to have a much greater chance of being torn out. So uh, I didn't mean to turn your show into a partisan thing. No, but, no, I mean, it, it's, but it's, it's, it's part of the reality. The election coming up, these, these are the things that are happening. Yeah, it's what I face as, as a legislator, as a representative. So, but, you know, assuming you have uh, friendlies to work with there and you have a Senate that has uh, got a majority you can work with and, and what, you know, I'll be just right straight with you too. I'm hoping the House flips back over to Republican control and the gavel gets taken away from Nancy Pelosi and gets given to my colleague from Bakersfield, Kevin McCarthy, who I spent those years in the state assembly with, you know, right. uh, we're close and he's been extremely, extremely helpful. You know, we had a situation where a fire declaration was needed on some of the fires that happened in my district and other areas of California, and, and FEMA initially turned it down. Well, we called our contacts in the White House, and so did uh, Mr. McClintock and uh, uh, Mike Garcia from down near uh, Lancaster. We all had these fires, and we all called up our reps, and we also called Kevin, who's the leader, and you, you know he's always with the president. And he could make a call to the president and help move things. And so all of us combined were able to ch change back that, turn back that decision by FEMA to deny the, uh, uh, you know, the, to the deny the declaration. Presidentially declared and all that. Yeah, so right. the president said, okay, I'll fix it. Wow. You know, so, yeah. I mean, you got to have these connections, and that helps. So we were able to get these declarations for up in Siskiyou County, and we got one recently here for Sierra County up there, you know, the Loyalton Way. And so... Anyway, there, there's so much, so much that goes on with any given uh, day or week or month. No, you, I, you have to be very adaptable to it, and you have to be able to drop things and move to other things that have urgency too. So, you learn that in farming too, with weather changes or a, a piece of equipment breaks in the field. You still got to get it done. Let's go! Wow, Bob the Drop is face jumping off the clouds. That's right, he's right above Mount Shasta. Awesome! Way to stick that landing, Bob. Now he's shredding it up on a snowboard. Wahoo! Look out, here he comes. Woo, that was cool and refreshing. It should be. It's going to be Mount Shasta spring water in 500 years. Have it delivered right to your home or office by calling 1-800-922-6227. Pure and simple, naturally the best. Mount Shasta spring water. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge. Defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Davis. The U.S. Supreme Court has denied requests from two churches in Nevada and California to be treated equally as secular businesses during the COVID shutdown. Other courts are recognizing that the government must meet higher standards to justify shutdown restrictions. A judge in Los Angeles agreed that there are constitutional problems with how governments are treating churches. And the most recent nominee to the United States Supreme Court, Amy Barrett, is someone who has proven her commitment to the First Amendment freedoms we all hold so dear. Pacific Justice Institute continues to guide thousands of churches through shutdowns and defending those who find their rights to worship abridged. PJI provides legal representation without charge. Get exclusive email updates by registering for The Legal Insider at pji.org. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm talking with Doug LaMalfa, the congressman who's uh, running for re-election coming up on November 3rd. And uh, Doug, 
Tell us a little more about how you feel about people, uh, people voting, why they should vote, uh, what's at stake, all that kind of thing. Well, I touched on that, you know, in, earlier in this, and I, I've, um, I guess, realized from a pretty young age how important this is, and you know, upon graduation from college, and one little shocker was, you know, I didn't really understand a lot about property taxes, and I didn't have to as a high school student and a college student. But when I came home and started getting involved in, in the family farm, and started, you know, purchasing my own pieces of equipment and stuff to start my own rented ground and things like that. You know, a year into it, you know, I'd, I'd bought like a, a chisel, which is a item you pull behind a tractor and a few tools and a little of this, a little of that. And long comes this pink form from the County of Butte. The good old personal property tax. Yeah. And I go, what's going on here? Cause you know, I knew about, there was a thing called property taxes, but I didn't own anything. Right. And just had a pickup and a few things. But I found out that the things you buy to use your to do your trade, they tax you on. They Every want to know year. how much oil you have in barrels. They want to know how many tubes of grease you might have left over from, you know, greasing the zerks on your tractor and what your assets are. And I I was offended by that. Like they want to know all my stuff. Like well, you know, you, you have behind the by behind the I can't talk behind the barred la- language you use sometimes. You know, which I shouldn't really be doing here but right you know it's like what are these people talking about i paid taxes i paid taxes on the income that i earned and then most of these items i purchased i paid sales tax on now you're telling me i have to pay a tax for the right to own it are you kidding me who who let that get through (laughs) you know and uh, i saw just you know how the memes are popular on the internet there and uh, i just saw one here where it showed, I think, a lady who owned her home, and all the things that happened to them were is, is very similar. The, so I don't really own my home, and, and the guy's explaining, no, uh, you, you just have to pay a tax on it, and if you want to do something to do it, you have to get a permit, and if you want to tear part of it down, you have to get a permit. All those have fees. Like, well, where's the freedom in all this? Where's the liberty that you would have to freely, you know, right now these days assembling to freely own your own private property you don't really own that stuff if you don't pay the tax and they put a lien on it. And after a few years of that, they put an auction up and all your stuff is sold out from under you. So yeah, I guess you're probably figuring out where my uh, leanings are with constitutionally. The founders, I think had something a little different in mind. Yeah. You know, we all pay taxes for a reason. We accept that as a civil society. We need roads, we need police, we need armies to defend our border. You know, we need schools. You can debate whether they should be, as public as they are, or whether they should have more school choice or not, or charter schools, Christian schools, Catholic schools, whatever you, whatever the variety is, you know, homeschool. I think we should have all those choices. But you see having an embedded uh, uh, hierarchy in Sacramento trying to take those choices away. You know, we're involved with a charter school that's here in town, and uh, the stuff they try and throw at you because, well, you, go, you guys don't have enough accountability. Yeah. <laughs> are you kidding me, Sacramento? Are you kidding me? accountability, the amount of money they throw at things down there and they still don't have enough every time they want to improve a building takes another bond yeah, and such and a, a state bond and a local bond has to come in. Otherwise you don't pull down the state money, you know? So, um, who's fooling who here? So right. I, I'm just, I, I, I come back to the right of the individuals, extremely important and a cornerstone of this country. And that's what the founders talked about when, uh, Franklin came out of the room at Independence Hall as they were forming the Constitution, and they said, Lady S., what have you given us? It's a republic if you can keep it, he answered. If you can keep it. Right. And Adams is quoted, more or less, I'm not always good at reciting, but paraphrasing. And he said, uh, the type of government we have here can only be governed by a moral and godly people. Because if you put people in office that are doing it for themselves, for... Uh, other things and then thinking about the people and picturing them in their mind when you're doing legislation or appropriation of money, then you're not going to have a type of government that works for the people. And so I take that extremely seriously because every tax dollar that government extracts from you, you know, I've heard presidents and others say, well, these contributions are, we're going to make good things out of those, you know, they aren't contributions because they don't ask permission or they, I mean, they don't ask you 
It's right. not a contribution when you're not asked. When it's right. mandatory, when it's uh, when it's uh, backed up by a badge somewhere, that's 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 right. mandatory. So you have to pay your taxes as those that pass the laws. You know, rend unto Caesar what is his, right? Right. And so if you have just laws, I suppose, then you can put that all under Caesar's, uh, you know, umbrella there. But there's a whole lot of stuff Caesar's taking from people there that doesn't belong to him. And that's what I'm here trying to fight against is to keep Caesar in check. And so when I say, when people say, like, well, you represent the government for us, right? And I say, no, I represent the people to their government because the government does just fine on its own. It's always trying to grow and creep like ivy, you know, covering over a, a ruin in Central America or right, something, right. you know. You don't have to worry about them slowing down. No, just right. like these propositions on the ballot. They're always chipping away on the taxes. Prop 15 is trying to go after prop uh, the original Prop 13 of 1978. Proposition 19 is very similar in that it's uh, going to if you inherit, you know, your house from your uh, parents or something, or you inherit ag land, there's restrictions on what you can do with that inheritance. Otherwise, they jack up the base rates from the base that you have right now to something much higher on your property tax, and soon you find yourself having to get rid of it. So I have right. some people not pleased with me with that position, but I'm taking a hard no on 15 and 19 because 19, at the end of the day, means more money for the state capital. And it comes from somebody. It doesn't come from magic. It doesn't come from thin air. It's going to come out of somebody having to pay some more somewhere along the line, whether it's on, on land that was inherited or what have you. So, you know, the, the state of California does not reform taxes without the state out coming out with more of it. So, you know, and you, you probably have listeners that aren't going to be happy with that, but well, I'm not here to make yeah. everybody happy. No, that's the thing. I can't please everybody, but... One thing that that's one of the up, fast ways to failure is trying to please everybody. That's right. You know, I'm just cut it down the middle. Yeah. What preserves freedom? What preserves liberty? One of the things that comes up in my family discussions with all this virus stuff, some of the states like Michigan, I believe, or Pennsylvania, have been overturned by some federal courts mm-hmm. saying you can't do that. But what I find is interesting is what I've seen in Australia is like a total lockdown. And what I tell, what I remind my son is, well, remember, they don't have a constitution. They don't have any options to go to court. They're, you know, as far as I know, they really don't. And their allegiance is to the Queen of England and all that. But here, no matter what's going on, we still have a constitutional-based system. My concern is that if things go too far the other way, we're going to lose that. Whether we are, whether we have lost it or not is another question, the way this virus thing has gone. Because I went to law school, and I was saying, uh, I was telling my son, I said, you know what, I'm going to sue for my tuition back, because they didn't tell me that a medical emergency would negate the Bill of Rights yes. in my con law yes. class. So basically, we do have a constitution, but unless people, for number one, understand it, and number two, stand up for it, well, if it's We're not being lose taught it. in school very That's much, exactly then, then what I was how say. are people going to even be familiar with yeah, it? And when yeah. school's too busy teaching you about how to recycle an aluminum can or name a tree or you know, worse, figure worse, out worse than that. Which, what, which of the 35 genders you might be, you right, know, then right. you know, you're just, uh, yeah. you're, it's, a, it's a dereliction, right. you know. So I think, uh, and that's why you need to have school choices, you right? Know? because our family has chosen different choices than the convention. And you know, my wife was a public school teacher until we started having too many kids to make uh, that work uh, for her. Right. But, uh, you know, and she was a good one. She gave up so much of herself in that and a whole bunch of her salary to help make her classroom a better place. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a good thing. And I, I know the vast majority of teachers are trying for that as well. So I'm not here to try and start a, you know, shooting match here or something. But it's just uh, government doesn't, government has to be constantly held accountable in all phases of it whether it's uh, defense spending or education spending or highway spending or this uh, blankety-blank high-speed rail fiasco they're doing in California. Instead Are they of still in, pushing that? Oh, it's still going, man, okay. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just billions and billions down a rat hole that no one can ever afford to ride, and it's not. And if the whole premise is it's going to save on greenhouse gases, well, um, in the construction of it that's taking, you know, 20, 25, 30 years, I mean, there's... I mean, you, you just have to get real here on stuff. And uh, I'll maintain that uh, 
CO2 is not a pollutant. You know, plants dig it. Right. So, hey, get, how, how, how much, how, what percent of the atmosphere do you think is CO2? I believe it's like 70 or 80 percent. Of our atmosphere is carbon dioxide? Something like that. Why do you think it's such a high number? I just seem to remember that it's nitrogen, carbon dioxide, and oxygen, and oxygen is only maybe 15 or 20 percent. Okay. Well, am I I close? um, You'd be close that nitrogen is that first number. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I'm not trying to make fun of you because most people don't know this. I don't know that much of the biology. That's okay. No, it, it isn't. It isn't common. The people that do a lot of like, like I find divers know this because they have their they you know, have op, their, their scuba <laughs> tanks and stuff, or I mean, you know, whatever. So, but the atmosphere is made of seventy eight percent nitrogen. Okay. Right? And so the next biggest portion is oxygen at about twenty one. So we've already arrived at ninety nine percent of the atmosphere. Third place is not CO two; it's argon, 0.93 of one percent. So, Harold, we've now accounted for 99.93% of the Earth's atmosphere is something that isn't CO2. All right? I wasn't aware of that. And so if you took a pie chart and drew the different pie sizes, again, you got nitrogen is about three-quarters of the pie, and oxygen is a little under one-fourth of the pie, and, and then argon you can actually see on there. You can't draw the line thin enough what CO2 is on the pie chart. It's about 0.04 of 1%. Okay? And that number has grown, and that's what everybody's betting all the climate change stuff on, is that it's grown from about 0.036 to about 0.04. So. We're going to be back after the, this last break with Congressman Doug LaMalfa. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'm Scott Allred. I'm Ventaney. And I'm Matt Four. This is Jessica Wilkerson, one of your hosts of Chico Now. A half hour designed for the community and brought to you by the community. Each day, one of our hosts will join with people from organizations throughout the greater Chico area. We want to let you know what's happening in Chico Now. So join us at 1230 Monday through Friday here on KKXX for Chico Now. I wasn't prepared to be a caregiver to mom. I had no idea how hard it would be and what I would need to know. Things I never thought of, like how to improve her mood and ways for me to stay positive. Luckily, I found the Caregiving Resource Center from AARP. It had articles about the basics, but also information about the hurdles I was facing. Caregiving Resource Center at aarp.org caregiving. Articles, tips, and tools to help you both care for your loved one and care for yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can. But it's just as important to take time for yourself. AARP can help. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. We got our final segment today. Uh, Congressman Lamalfa took some time out from his busy schedule to. We're just kind of talking about, I think it's more today of just kind of talking about some of the basics. And one of my problems is living in a state like California, and then uh, I only have one son, and when he came home from, I think it was junior high, and he started kind of filling me in on what they were teaching in the, I guess the sex education department, whatever they call it, Uh, you know, I thought, nah. When did the schools start down this road? And now that I think about it, there's a whole generation or two, I believe, of public education kids in our in our state, at least, that I don't think they appreciate anything that we're talking about, about the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and why those things are so important. And I know some of the young people I talk to, if you mention something like, well, Google can read everything you type, 
they just shrug it off and say, so I, I didn't do anything wrong. And so in that respect, I think, I believe our education system is over time is going to let us down because we aren't going to have a generation that has their, they don't even know about things like Bill of Rights and why we're so special compared to other countries and things like that. That's my opinion. Yeah, we, we were chatting about how U.S. is unique and it has a constitution which protects right. those it's rights. And a yeah. place like Australia, England, or you know, New Zealand, or others don't have those. So you would think of those, well, those are good westernized countries. They're not far from us and that we all kind of evolved from England and English law in a way. So but our founders were genius in this. And right now we're seeing them being run down because of a perception of systemic racism in this country. You know, and of course, are we a country that is, if this was a question the other night at the candidate forum, are we a country of systemic racism? I would say no. Do we have racists in it? Yes. This doesn't come from our system that we're trying to always make better. It comes from within the heart of individuals. Right. And, you know, of of what they're being taught or what, you know, so I, I think with... With all these things going on, the amount of disinformation that's being thrown around constantly in this political context, because there's people that violently do not like this president from the day he walked in. They were surprised by the election, and um, it's uh, since then it's been a full-court press to undermine him. And, hey, I'm not just say, sitting here saying he's this perfect guy or whatever, but I do believe God has some interesting people he's used inst- as his instruments for his will, for his goals in this president, you know, is likely one of them. I mean, nobody's in office if God doesn't ultimately in one way or another ordain that they're there. One thing that occurred to me was that all of a sudden, out of the blue, we have a non-politician got elected for whatever reason, and all we see from the political establishment is virtual panic and fighting against this non-politician to get him out, and it's been that way since since he started. And it kind of shows you that, to me, that, that Washington mentality doesn't want any outsiders coming in. They want it business as usual. The old drain the swamp thing, right? That right. You, you can tell what's swampy, you know, by the people. Some of the people that are going against the president that would normally think might be kind of aligned because he, he doesn't, uh, he's not there to play ball with things as it was. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not, didn't, coming here to make a pitch for that per se, but uh, what my my wife says to me all the time, and I echo it, is that speak truth. And the truth is a casualty a lot these days in the way media is manipulating things. Now parties, you know, both both sides have their issues. Um, You you have to be speaking what is true, the real truth, not my truth, your truth. There's only one truth. Two plus two only equals four. And on, on all... On through everything else. People are being uh, sucked into a lot of stuff that isn't real. And you have to just be confident in what your own roots and upbringing are. It doesn't mean you don't listen to others and you don't take new ideas. You always do that. But um, you you have to stick with what is your core. And when you get elected to office, you can't be changing that core just in order to cut a new deal or you know, try and win an election or, you know, I watched Susan Collins back there in Maine. She's so trying so desperately to hold on to her Senate seat. And I've sat with her at dinner and she's a nice lady, but she's announced she's going to vote against Amy Barrett, who is a great constitutionalist in the term of, you know, the strict, they call it constructionalist of the constitution is to be interpreted as is not stretched and shaped to whatever the whim of the day is. She says she's going to vote against her because I think 90% of that she's fearful for her election in a purple state like Maine, which she might offend some of the left-leaning voters by voting for it. So, and what's it tell the, to the right-leaning voters that uh, she, she is she she have no uh, const, you know her own internal constitution or values? I mean, she's going to you know decide what's the safe vote instead of what's the right vote. What's the right vote here? Show strength. Show show uh, a backbone on that and people can at least respect if they oppose you and they'll still try and take you out maybe in an election. They'll, they, you know, that's, that's the game we're in. But, 
if this district quits voting for me, I'll go home with my head high that I always stuck with what I came here for. And if they want somebody else, then, uh, you know, so be it. But, uh, I, you know, I, I think uh, what, uh, what my upbringing is, and with what our community and our civil society believes in, and what, uh, what God, God's uh, will and that influence on your life brings to it is that uh, you have to stand up for what's right and and I have a version of that that I stand upon here as well. You know, we were talking earlier about the large number of people that as a California representative, it's gigantic, but it's still large for a U.S. representative. I was thinking, and this came to me like 10 years ago as a thought, with all this internet and all this voting on and Zoom and online, everything, why, has anybody ever thought of the fact that maybe we should get back to a representative for every 5,000 people so that Chico can have its own representative and the rest of Butte County might want you, but Chico might want somebody totally different and that would be okay? I mean, does anybody ever talk about that part of the Well, I mean, the idea? you're a country of 330 million people or somewhere close to that, so at the federal level, how many representatives do you want to pack into a building and have them come up with a decision? You know, my wife and I were just talking about that too, where uh, Venezuela has some incredible number of Supreme Court, uh, in their Supreme Court, you know, because they're, there's all this discussion about packing the court. You know, right. like if you don't like the result, I'll change the rules and put more people of your ilk on there. That's what's so disingenuous about what uh, Biden won't say about it, but a lot of the Democrats are saying on let's pack the Supreme Court. They want to add... Five more, four more members, or six more members, so they can put six more liberals on there, right? And overweight our temporary. You know, Republicans have been getting killed on Supreme Court nominations for years. You know, you get a, what you think is a conservative, and somebody like David Souter flips on you. And was well, it not uh, to mention Roberts? <laughs> and Roberts is not hasn't been stellar in comparing. I had a chance, a couple different occasions, to have a breakfast and a dinner with uh, Judge Antonin Scalia. It wasn't just me, but some of my colleagues too. I got to ask him questions and uh, listen to the man, you know. And one of the interesting things was he says, like, well, here, the court's not here to clean up you guys' mess in Congress. You guys make the laws. And if you don't make uh, square laws, good laws, it isn't us to rewrite them for you. We'll knock them down if they're unconstitutional. But if they're constitutional enough, but you don't happen to like it and you help vote for it or you didn't have enough votes to convince them not to vote for it, we're not here to clean it up, which I thought was a fascinating deal. Um, but uh, And he's right. You're not supposed to legislate from the court. The court is supposed to be kind of like blindfolded of the thing, sort of, and weigh things equally. And, right. and if people want to push the finger on the scale by putting six new liberal justices on the court so they can have it their way, you know, didn't we're, FDR, we're, we're, we're in trouble. did FDR try to do that? Or he, he talked thought about, about it, it and, he, yeah. and Democrats and Republicans back then said no. Uh-huh. These days you have a mixture that's a little less bipartisan that way. There's those that are willing to do it. If, if Barrett is, uh, Barrett is uh, ultimately uh, voted for next Monday, you hmm. know, the following Monday. Yeah. And so whenever it is, I guess it's next Monday. Yeah. So I'm sure she'll be confirmed and there's going to be caterwauling like you've never seen because she uh, adheres but Republicans have got, have gotten burned so many times by bad Supreme Court justices. I think it was Warren one of them was uh, Souter was one. And he got some you know Roberts. How he came down on the side of the uh, so-called Affordable Care Act being constitutional right, right. that you can force that people to buy a product from right. the government. Oh, we're just calling it a tax. Now, it's not a tax. Even Obama and them said it wasn't a tax when they were purporting it. You know, didn't so, Souter pull the one about the property could be? eminent domain in Connecticut or something. He had a bad that one. That was like a that. Kilo versus New London yeah, Connecticut decision. Like that, yeah. I don't think Souter was on the court anymore, but they but, still they still handed that one down. And myself and uh, as a assemblyman and Senators Tom McClintock both ran legislation to say, no, that isn't what that means. And it was the funny thing about that is we, we both introduced legislation in each of our houses about that Kilo eminent domain deal. And before the, before we, we had just, just before the summer break that year for the state legislature introduced that. And we had bipartisan members sign up like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll get on that. After a few weeks of summer break, they came back and peeled off because they heard from their 
city interests, their urban interests, their others say, oh, we want this power to be able to take property from right. people in an urban area, especially so they didn't because we it. call it blight. And so all they have to do is a city declared area blighted because they just don't happen to like that there's a, you know, four generation or, you know, four decade tire store on this corner. They want to take it and knock it down and turn it into a quaint little coffee shop and, you know, little shops for knickknacks and things like that. Not some dirty tire store that actually people go and buy the products for. Right. So that's another abusive government there. And a court and the Supreme Court upheld that uh, lower court ruling that you can do that. I, that just blew my mind. You know, in this country, you can't get away with that stuff, but they did. And, and, and our legislature, initially with bipartisan support to rectify that, <laughs> knocked it right down. So, uh, you know, you can see that um, sometimes the battles here are a little chaotic and. I'm uh, sometimes standing against the wind on a lot of things. You know, in NASCAR, I'm a Ford guy. I don't like the Chevrolet or other teams out there. I'm making people mad, really mad now. <laughs> but I'm a Ford guy, so I'm, you know, and I like the Giants. I hate that the Dodgers are in the World Series. Oh, it makes me mad. So, you know, I'm a partisan on this stuff. So, um, you know, you, you just, you got to, but it just seems like I'm a lot of times whistling against uh, the majority on stuff. You know, those are sports and those aren't, you know, they're trivial, but. Right. And these things here, I keep going back. Well, here's a, here's, a, here's one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. When I asked Mr. Scalia some questions that morning, he said, Sir, why, why don't we, instead of looking at you know, precedent and layers upon layers of decisions made by juries and other judges, instead of why don't we peel that back every time and go what the Constitution says, whether it's on property or on a government ruling and stuff, instead of a bunch of precedents made by a bunch of other lawyers and more recent juries, and he goes, "Oh, you're you're one of you're one of those uh, constructionists, are you?" And he asked me, "Am I attorney?" No. He, he actually told me, "Like, well, your your kind of thinking would be good on our court." Wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any. Maybe you know, there'll be another slot. In pretensions year or two. that someone's going to come <laughs> find me because I'm not an attorney. I don't know all the fancy <laughs> talk and all that stuff. Right. But when you get to the core of it, I hope that's what these people have. Is the core is that the Constitution, as set up by the founders who were, you know, practically, you know, by and large, people of faith trying to have a selfless system of government with enough checks and balances so you don't have a king, you don't have a ruling party or class. That's why Washington did not want to be king. Washington is the president I admire most. KXX Paradise K280GL Chico and K283AR Chico Yuba City Marysville Breaking news this hour from townhall.com I'm Keith Peters Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden visited Warm Springs, Georgia today, home of Franklin D Roosevelt's vacation White House, one week before the 2020 presidential election. He says national divisions have grown under President Trump. I believe America and America of hope not fear, unity, not division, love, not hate. While President Trump was in Lansing, Michigan, another battleground state, saying Joe Biden's economic policies would devastate Michigan. This election is a matter of economic survival for Michigan. Look what I've done, we've all done together for this state. This state... You're building cars again. More than 21 million voters across the U.S. have already cast ballots in person amid record-breaking early turnout. Forecasters are keeping a watchful eye on Zeta, a tropical storm they predict will become a hurricane in the Gulf of Mexico. And once again, residents along the Gulf Coast are preparing for the worst. National Hurricane Center Specialist Robbie Berg says the angle of the storm as it approaches the U.S. will determine when it makes landfall. If it stays a little bit to the west, it can move onshore earlier across uh, sorry, Louisiana. Uh, but if it moves a little bit more to the east, to the right of the track, 
Uh, it could stay out over the water longer before it reaches the coast of, say, Mississippi or Alabama. Zeta's top winds were 65 miles an hour Tuesday afternoon. It was centered about 485 miles south of the mouth of the Mississippi River. Crews are trying to beat back two out-of-control wildfires in Southern California that have kept tens of thousands of people out of their homes. Another round of dangerous fire weather Tuesday is raising the risk for blazes across the state. A mixed day on Wall Street as the Dow dropped 222 points to close at 27,463. The Nasdaq, however, rose by 72 points. The S&P declined 10. More on these stories at townhall.com. If you've fallen behind in your credit card payments during the shutdown, you're probably feeling some added pressures. And even a brief history of late payments can lead to a big drop in your credit score. But you don't have to solve these problems alone. Trinity Debt Management can help. We'll work with your creditors, put a stop to late fees and other penalties, and make a plan that helps you get caught up. We'll also consolidate your bills into one easy-to-manage monthly payment and negotiate much lower interest rates. Not only will you find immediate relief, you'll save thousands. And don't worry, it's not a loan. It's a smart way to get back on track. All you have to do is give Trinity a quick call, and we'll take care of the rest. Right now, no one really knows what the future will bring, but one thing is for sure. If your debt has you down, we should talk. Here's the number. Call one 800 9 That's 1-800-990-6976. Here's the townhall.com business brief. Stock indexes closing mixed on Wall Street as the market's momentum slows further on worries about rising virus counts and Washington's inability to deliver more aid to the economy. The S&P 500 lost three-tenths percent after swinging between small gains and losses earlier. Most stocks in the index were lower, particularly oil producers, and other companies whose profits tend to track the strength of the economy. Technology stocks rose, sending the Nasdaq higher after AMD said it would buy fellow chipmaker Xilinx for $35 billion. The Dow fell 222 points to 27,463. The Nasdaq was up 72 to 11,431. The S&P 500 down 10 to 3,390. New York oil gained 87 cents to $39.43. 